Good morning. Thank you, Steve, for that reading. Uh, I had debated about whether or not to have all of that read aloud until I saw that Steve was to be the reader. <laughs> and uh, then I knew I could go ahead and knew that he would do that and do it quite well. Uh, didn't want to do it to anybody else uh, because I knew that not everyone would appreciate that assignment. But uh, I appreciate Steve giving the reading. When you look at that first chapter of Matthew, those first 17 verses, you might find yourself thinking, what a way to start a gospel. Even more, what a way to start the New Testament. And what a way to start the story of Jesus. Genealog genealogical lists are, are just not something that most of us are very much uh, into, and we generally ignore them. There are lots of them in the Bible, by the way, as you probably know. And what we tend to do when we get to them is just skip over them and uh, you know, think, well, that's just a list of names, and we go to something else. Uh, I heard, read recently in one commentary, a writer said that most of us regard these genealogies as tedious, and, and I thought that's probably about right. That word probably sums up the way we look at genealogies, tedious. And yet the genealogies in the Bible are a part of Scripture too. And they have an important part to play. And they are so important that we have not one genealogy of Jesus in the New Testament, but we have two. We have this one in Matthew 1 and another in the third chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. Now, the one in Matthew is such an important part of the story of Jesus. It was never intended to be skipped over because it sets the stage for the rest of what Matthew is going to tell us. All that, that follows in Matthew uh, is prepared for by this genealogy. And Matthew intended for us to think on that genealogy before we move any further. This genealogy serves as a perfect bridge between the Old Testament and the New. It's the bridge between the story of Israel and the story of Jesus and the story of the church. And that's probably why Matthew was placed first in our New Testaments. It was not the first book written, uh, but it does provide that bridge. And so it spans that gap for us and helps us to see that the story of Jesus is really not a completely new story. In fact, it is the continuation and it is the completion of a very old story, of something that God has been doing for a very long time. One writer described the genealogy in, in Matthew as Israel's family album. But this family album is not like ours. It isn't filled with photographs. It's filled with names. But the people who would have first read Matthew, the Jewish readers, would have understood that so clearly and would have recognized these names so vividly that each name would have created an image in their minds. It would have created an image of a story that they knew well, and that hopefully by now we as Christians know well also. Let me give you an example. If you look at the, uh, the statement, it says, Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. A Jewish reader would immediately think, Jacob had 12 sons, not just Judah. Judah had 11 brothers, and Judah and his brothers were the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's where we get that whole, that whole thing. And so all of, that, all of that comes out as we think about just the statement that Judah, uh, Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. He doesn't, Matthew doesn't have to say all of that. He just mentions the names. 
and the stories come to life in our minds. But this genealogy isn't just about family history. This genealogy is about promises. It's about promises that God made a long time ago and that he has worked out over centuries of time that are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And so he starts with Abraham and he works forward to Jesus because it is Jesus who is the fulfillment and the culmination of all of those promises. Now, the point about the promises begins to be made in the very first verse of Matthew when he says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So there are two specific promises alluded to in that verse. And I want us to think together this morning about those two. Let's take the second one first, that God's promise to Abraham. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, he is the son of Abraham, Matthew says. And son of does not necessarily, as you know in the Bible, mean immediate offspring. It can mean a descendant. It can be a descendant who's uh, generations down the line. But Jesus is a son of uh, Abraham. He is descended from Abraham. Now this goes all the way back to Genesis 12. Verses 1 to 3, when God first spoke to Abraham and made a covenant with him. God told Abraham, I want you to leave your homeland. I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave everything that you know and everything that is comfortable to you in your life and go to a land that I will show you. And he said, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and he who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Can you imagine hearing that promise, that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed? That God is going to make of you a great nation of people, and that through your people, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Later in chapter 22 and verse 18, God says, In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And that statement is repeated two more times in Genesis. It's also quoted in the book of Acts, and it's also quoted in Galatians 3. So this becomes a, a, a signal promise to Abraham that through his offspring, in some way that he didn't know, that he didn't understand, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. So what's Matthew saying then about Jesus as the son of Abraham? Well, for one thing, as is often pointed out, this shows that he is truly Jewish. He is truly descended from Abraham. He can trace his lineage all the way back to the very first uh, Israelite, if you will. But that's only part of it. The other part of it is he claims that Jesus is that offspring of Abraham through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Because people who read this initially couldn't help but think about when they read the name Abraham, think about that covenant, think about that promise that through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then they just keep reading on down that list and it comes down to one offspring. It comes down to Jesus. By the time Matthew wrote, it had been approximately 2,000 years since that promise had been made. And it had been a long and winding road. And you know something of that story. How Jacob's 12 sons and all the rivalries that they had and how 
how they hated their younger brother Joseph and how he got sold into slavery in Egypt. And yet through that, he was able to save the rest of the family and they eventually all ended up in Egypt together. But then they were enslaved there and then they went out into the wilderness because God delivered them from that slavery. And God led them through that wilderness for 40 years until finally they came to their promised land. And they hadn't been there very long and they began to desert God and as a result he allowed their enemies to oppress them and he raised up these people called the judges and oh what a strange story the judges are what a strange story all kinds of bizarre things happened in the days of the judges and so you make your way through all of that history and then you have the kings and most of those kings were terrible kings a few of them were good but most of them were awful Uh, and yet at the same time God is raising up prophets And these prophets are trying to serve as the conscience to the king and to get the king back to God and back to leading the people to God. But those prophets also begin to tell about someone who was to come, someone who was to come and be the deliverer of his people. And then after that last prophet, Malachi, 400 years of silence. They don't hear from God at all. For four centuries. And then comes a man by the name of John. John the Baptist, we call him. And John the Baptist proclaims that God is breaking the silence. What Matthew is telling us is, it's finally happening. Everything we've been waiting for, all these centuries, is finally happening. It has happened in the coming of Jesus Christ. All the nations will be blessed because he will die for the sins of the world. Everybody sins. N.T. Wright describes the genealogy as being kind of like a long parade. And you have the people who march first in the parade. And then you have the group that comes next in the parade. And then finally at the end of the parade, you have the most important figure, whoever's being honored whatever the the parade is about. And he says, that's the way the genealogy is. You have all this long march of people who come before Jesus, and then finally he appears at the end. But it all started with that one man, Abraham, and the promise that God made to him. But it wasn't just that promise. There's the other promise, and that's the one made to David. Because Jesus is also called the son of David. In fact, you notice that Matthew has taken them out of chronological order. He doesn't say the son of Abraham, the son of David. He says the son of David, the son of Abraham. So there's something special about this promise that is made to David. You remember David's story, how he started out as a shepherd and ended up as a king. You know, a thing like that tends to go to a guy's head. To start out just as pretty much nothing and be elevated to the status of a king. 2 Samuel chapter 7 records that well into his reign, God had given David peace. He had conquered his enemies all around, and he kind of had a little bit of leisure time, had a little bit of, of downtime. He had rest from all his surrounding enemies. And so he started thinking one day, and he thought, you know, I'm I'm dwelling in a very fine house here. He had a a palace, but he said the ark of God is still in a tent. 
Now, remember that the ark of God was in a tent. Why? Because God had said that's where he wanted it. But David says, no, no, we need to, I need to build a house for God. And so he starts talking this over with Nathan the prophet. And Nathan says, well, God is with you in all that you do, so go for it. I'm, I'm sure he'll bless this plan also. But that night, God spoke to Nathan, and he says, no, that's not the plan. You go and tell David that I've never had a house, and I don't need one now. And I haven't asked him to build me one. And that's not what this is all about. And he says, besides that, David's getting a little bit big for his britches. That's in the Hebrew if you're looking for it. <laughs> David's getting a little bit big for his britches and thinking that he can do something for me, that he can bless me. I'm the one who blesses him. Remind him that I'm the one who brought him from following sheep and put him on the throne of Israel. It's not the other way around. Go and tell David that. He's not going to build me a house. But God didn't just say no to David's plan. He also made him a great promise. He said, the Lord will build you a house. Now, he didn't mean a physical dwelling. He meant a lineage. He meant a dynasty. You remember that David's predecessor, Saul, had been denied that. His only son, Jonathan, was killed in battle. And so there was, were no descendants of Saul. But of David, yes. David would have a dynasty of kings who would come after him. And in verse 12 of 2 Samuel 7, God said, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you and I will establish his kingdom. And then he adds to that in verse 13, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then after that, in verse 14, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And in verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, parts of that promise obviously apply to Solomon. Solomon was David's son who succeeded him on the throne, and Solomon was allowed to build a house for the Lord. He was the one who constructed the temple. But there was also part of that prophecy was that when he sins, I will chastise him. And Solomon sinned, and he was chastised by God. But all of this promise can apply to Solomon, particularly the foreverness of it. When he said, I will establish your throne and your kingdom forever, and I will establish his throne forever, that can't be about Solomon. Because Solomon's throne and Solomon's kingdom did not last forever. And so this becomes the foundation of the idea that there's going to come a king, a descendant of David, who comes to be called the Messiah, the anointed one, He's the one who's going to come and establish that kingdom that shall stand forever. And notice also that God had said, your son will be my son. This Messiah will be God's son. And so for centuries, the people waited for the promise to be fulfilled. And they kept hoping and praying that the Messiah would come in their day and deliver them from their enemies in the way David had delivered the people. 
We get an example of that in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. This man Simeon, when Jesus was brought as a baby to the temple for purification, and this old man named Simeon saw him. And he said, Lord, let now your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. But you know what's said about Simeon? It said that he was righteous and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the Messiah. And he got to see him. And now Matthew's telling us in Matthew 1, here he is. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now we've heard that name Jesus Christ so many times that we think Christ is Jesus' last name. Though his mother and dad were Mr. and Mrs. Christ. But that's not what it is. Christ is actually a title. It's the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah, anointed one. So to call Jesus, Jesus Christ, or Jesus the Christ, is to make a confession of faith. That you believe that Jesus is, in fact, that Messiah whom God has sent. And that's exactly what Matthew is claiming. He's not just telling us who Jesus is. He's telling us where he came from, or more correctly, he's telling us who he came from. That he is descended from David, that he is that promised son of David who would be Israel's Messiah and their king. Now, the genealogy that follows verse 1 proves it. That Jesus is David's son, the one promised in 2 Samuel 7. So that in Matthew, when people later call Jesus son of David, which they do eight times in Matthew's gospel, when they call him son of David, they are recognizing him as the Messiah. Did you know that even the structure of this genealogy proclaims symbolically that Jesus is David's son? Look down to verse 17. It says, all of Israel's history is divided into three periods of 14 generations, from Abraham to David, from David to the deportation to Babylon, and from Babylon to the Christ. Now, why those three periods? Well, because Abraham was the beginning of Israel's history. David was the high point of Israel's history. The deportation to Babylon was their darkest period when everything seemed as though it had fallen apart. But it was also the time when the prophets foretold a great king to come and restore the nations. But Matthew breaks it into three sections of 14, 42 generations altogether. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, and I know you'll do this this afternoon, if you go back to the Old Testament and read all the generations, from Abraham to Jesus, you'll find there are more than 42. Matthew has created these sections of 14 generations each, 14, 14, 14. Why, why would he do that? It has to do with the nature of the Hebrew alphabet. In the Hebrew language, all of the consonants, and it's all consonants, all the consonants are also letter, uh, numbers. So the first letter, Aleph, is one, and Beit is two, and so forth. And when you take the letters of the name of David and add them together, they equal 14. And so Matthew is saying 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. Jesus is the son of 
David. It's all about God fulfilling that promise to David. Everything points to him as the Messiah. Well, still, you know, we go back and we look at this genealogy and we think, what does that have to do with us? Because we're not, we're not as well-versed in these names as probably we ought to be. The genealogy probably doesn't speak to us in the way that it ought to. So what does it have to say to us? Let me point out just two things to you. First of all, it reminds us that God always keeps his promises. He always has, and he always will. There's never been a promise that God has not kept all down through human history. Not just to Abraham and to David, but to all humanity. He promised that a Savior would come, and the Savior has come. And he has promised us that he will come again. And we can be certain because God never breaks his word. We can be certain that Jesus the Messiah will come again. He promises us eternal life with him. And we don't have to question that. We don't have to doubt it. We don't have to wonder about it. And when we find ourselves in the midst of life and all the wheels seem to be coming off and we just find ourselves having a difficulty, you know, keeping focused on where it is we're going and what it is we're supposed to be doing in serving God, be assured that God is keeping his promises. When we face our trials and our struggles, he promises never to leave us. He never leaves us without resources. If you don't see them, look around because they are there. And if you don't see the outworking of his plans, keep looking because God never fails. Paul makes a statement about Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. He said, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That's what Matthew 1 is saying. All the promises of God, the promises to Abraham, the promises to David, the promises to Israel, the promises to all humanity. They find their yes in Jesus. But the other thing is, this genealogy reminds us that Jesus' coming and our salvation was no accident, and it was no afterthought. Rather, it was the outworking of a plan that had been in the mind of God since before the foundation of the world. That just boggles our minds, doesn't it? Before God ever created the world, he knew that we would sin. He knew we'd need a Savior, and so he already had in mind what he was going to do. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11, Paul describes this as the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. God knew what he was, would do, and now he has done it. He has always known what he would do and has done it. And the question now is, what will you do in response? God has done all of this. What will you do? Let me tell you what he wants you to do. He wants you to trust in his son, Christ Jesus. And he wants you to repent of your sins. And he wants you to be baptized into his death and have your sins washed away. And he wants you to live your life serving him and then being with him forever. And if you do what he says, 
He will do what he has promised. No question about it. He always keeps his promises. Let's stand together and sing. Rock of ages, left for me. me.